I really don't care if you can hear me. Can you see me? That's what I'm interested in. Damn. Aren't those traditions interesting? <laughs> I got to get a copy of those guys, man. Um, you got the six hours of tape, Dick? Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's going to cost me uh, Monday morning... Uh, when Talford, he was talking all that stuff about it. I really don't believe it, but uh, he was talking some nice things about me. And I uh, I remember when he came in, he had, he was the first guy came, I don't know how long he's been sober, but he came in a long time ago, before earrings were in fashion, okay? <laughs> he had a big-ass earring, you know, a big gold one, you know, and he wore a red scarf over his head, like, he looked like a pirate. <laughs> the only thing missing was a a parrot. He didn't have a parrot. He said, you got to keep that parrot. This is a closed meeting. Parrots can't come to this meeting, okay? And then uh, he's done a wonderful job with his life. He went from uh, a make-believe pirate to uh, a lawyer. Now he's my attorney, you know? And uh, <laughs> He's the only guy in the whole place that understood the tradition, you know? <laughs> and I know him introducing me, I'm going to get a damn bill for it Monday morning. I don't get any respect. I just, you know, it's, it's getting to the point like uh, I know when they were putting this package together, all uh, all the big wheels, you know, and uh, guys that got those colored, uh, what do you call those things that hang and say important guy? Uh, <laughs> when they were putting this package together, you know, they were talking and uh, uh, Marianne, who's very politically correct, said, uh, <clears throat> we're going to have to have a... Uh, senior citizen on the program <laughs> and she said and we're also going to have to have a uh, a vertically challenged person <laughs> and, and, and we're going to have to have a Hispanic person also <laughs> so um, here I am uh, <laughs> short old you know and a Mexican guy I, I <laughs> My name is Jimmy Z, and I am an alcoholic. Jimmy! Glad to be here tonight. I, uh, this afternoon, about 4 o'clock, two uh, virgin princesses came up to my room bearing gifts of baskets, fruit baskets and stuff. I've never had this kind of treatment before. You know, I, when I was a kid in Albuquerque, New Mexico, I dreamt about being a busboy in a place like this. And now they're bringing me fruit baskets, you know. And I said, God, what are these two virgin princesses doing? Actually, actually half the stories, it's just, it's half the stories true, okay? They are not princes, okay? <laughs> but I'm glad to be here in Grand Island. I'm uh, glad to be anywhere, because it never was this way for me before. Uh... I was always a very confused young child. I always had this, um, before I even got into Alcoholics Anonymous, I had this restlessness and this irritability and this discontent. Long before, I, I, w I knew I was alcoholic. Long before uh, I came in and uh, they told me that I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Long before that, I was restless, irritable, and discontent. I was just a real unhappy child. And I, when I came in AA, you know, finally about six weeks after I'd been in AA, they said, you know what, you're really sick and tired of being sick and tired. But I knew that there was something wrong with me. I just couldn't put my finger on it. And uh, but I always had these uh, these symptoms always within me. So I'm really uh, 
kind of a hole in my heart, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know how to fix it because I was always being told how bad I was, and I was never going to amount to anything, and uh, uh, people didn't like me, and I heard all that stuff. And you hear, if you hear that for so long, you're eventually going to believe it. And uh, I came to believe that, and I reacted, and I acted to what they expected of me, and I became that type of a person. I was faith. The, all the, as long as far back as I can remember, I've always been restless, irritable, and discontent. That three-headed monster of alcoholism—that's what alcoholism is to me. Describes it in the book. You know, restlessness. It's uneasy and irritable and just cranky, easily annoyed and discontent. You know, you're not satisfied with who you are, what you are, where you are, and you have to have some outlet for this. Because you can't keep it bottled up all the time. And I became, I became uh, cunning, baffling, not very powerful because I was too small to be powerful, but I was very devious. I was a devious kind of guy. I'll tell you what kind of guy I was. I was, uh, remember Eddie Haskell in The Beaver? How he's always hustling Miss Beaver, how beautiful she is. Oh, you look so good. And then behind her back, he was always slashing her, you know, and getting the beaver to, to uh, uh, retaliate against. That's what, I was a Mexican, Addie Haskell, okay? I was the kind of guy that your mother, I mean, that my mother didn't want me to play with. And I got into all sorts of trouble. That's because that was, that's what, what they told me I was going to do. I was going to uh, get in a lot of trouble, and I did. I, I, you know, when they were hassling me about it, why did you do this? I said, well, you said I was never going to be any good. You know, and they'd whack me around, and they'd do whatever they were going to do. And I was doing I still had this feeling down deep inside that I had to express it. I had to express it, and I expressed it in, in being incorrigible, and I expect, expressed it uh, mainly in just, being antisocial. Any chance I could be, any chance I could do, any chance I had to do anything antisocial, I would do it. Because that's what I was. I was an antisocial person. And in my neighborhood, back there in Albuquerque in the Barrios, long time ago, okay, long time ago before it was fashionable, we were smoking that marijuana stuff. And it grew in the banks, right on the banks, wild there in Albuquerque. And uh, we used to roll that, we used to cut that thing down and roll it up in those big leaves, you know, and, and then, uh, and then uh, uh, roll it up in that uh, Albuquerque uh, Tribune, that big, world, big newspaper, and, you know, like that bad boy. You know, and it wasn't until I got into Alcoholics Anonymous, I found out you got to dry the damn stuff, you know. It doesn't burn, you know, you got to dry it. Everything I found out about my whole life, I found out in Al Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. And, and, and for one, the, the marijuana and all that never did anything for me. Never did. It, the only thing it ever made me was time conscious. You know, and I was the only guy in the whole barrio that had a, a watch. I had a uh, Rolex. What? Well, Timex. It was one of those things I had stolen. But uh, anyway... It always made me time conscious. We'd be in a circle, you know, but, oh, man, you know, you know how losers do. Hey, man, oh, man, you know, everybody's trying to get high, trying to keep that thing ignited. <laughs> and only, only, I would just say, hey, guys, it's 811. <laughs> hey, guys, it's 812. Hey, guys, it's 813. Hey, guys, it's 814. Shut up! <laughs> We're trying to get high here, buddy! They didn't like me then. Even my own crowd didn't like me. 
they didn't, they just, you know, I was one of those guys that hard to like. I don't, <laughs> they told me I still am, you know, so, <laughs> but I'm trying. But anyway, I did that, and I did all kinds of anti. So I stole, I stole cars. I, I learned the thing. We did drive-bys long before they were, they were, they were popular. Okay, <laughs> Mexican guys invented drive-bys. We don't want anybody else taking credit for it either. Okay, <laughs> we're doing all that stuff. I just never got caught. I've done everything that there is to do. That everybody else in this room has done. The only thing I've never done is I haven't been with a man. Yet, okay? <laughs> I always say yet. That's what my sponsor told me, yet. But I've done all these things. I myself will run riot even when I don't think so. And it just continued that way. My behavior was terrible, and it got worse and worse. And I was incorrigible, and they took me down to see the counselors, and they took me down to see psychiatrists, and they took me down to see the preachers, you know, and they said, hey, if you'll just read the good book. And, you know, I knew that was a lie. Because my grandma used to make me pray 14, no, not, I was going to say 14, you know, I'm, I'm still kind of lying a lot, but she used to make me pray for about four hours every night in English and Spanish, okay? And it never did anything for my personality. I was still a rotten kid. But when I got to high school, after going through all this period of suffering, when I got to high school, I really found the answer. And let me tell you what's deceiving about having that kind of attitude that I had. See, because you think you're worthless, okay, so you have to act that out. So you're acting out something that you don't, you, something that you don't, you really don't believe down deep inside. So you're telling your mind one thing and doing another. And I can understand where the pain comes from. I can understand because I've talked to a lot of people. I talk to people every night from 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock, 365 days out of the week. And I've heard all kinds of stories. And I know that it's painful. It's painful. All these people, of in, uh, victims of incest, child abuse, verbal abuse, all that stuff is really painful. And you have to find some way to just work through that thing. And that's what I had to do. And that's what Alcoholics Anonymous has given me. But anyway, what I had to do at that time, what I had to do at that time was find some escape. And I did. I found it in, in malt liquor. I found four cans of malt liquor when we were about 14 years old. They were just lying in the bushes as though God had just put them there for me. I mean, it was just, it was God's will that I get drunk on four cans of malt liquor. So we popped those bad boys open, man. It was that Schlitz malt liquor. The big bull on it. I get it done, wouldn't it? Man, I just took a sip of that bad boy and right away my my ears started tingling. My little cheeks were glowing. They were just warm all over, you know. And my nostrils flared out. My hair started tingling. Man, I grew to about, I was about five, six. Man. <laughs> I felt like a monster, man. I said, I can do anything. I was I was cold, I, and I said it, and, and, and it was just, and I hadn't even swallowed it yet. I still had it in my mouth. <laughs> Ain't no short jokes, huh? No short jokes. You know I'm sensitive. <laughs> now I got to start all over again. <laughs> that malt liquor got it done. And let me tell you something that's funny about malt liquor. Any booze. 
anything. The thing about booze is this. When I drank it, I drank it, I got sick, I vomited, and I passed out. Twenty years later, when I sobered up, I drank it, I vomited, I passed out. Everything, I had not learned one iota about drinking. That's how far I'd come in 20 years. I was the same loser I was at the age of 14 that I was at 34. Couldn't handle my life. I was not one of these guys that drank socially. I never was. I drank to get wiped out, period. I was a professional alcoholic. Couldn't handle it very well, but I was not a social drinker. I was not like these most of these people that we have here tonight. You know, just take a couple of drinks, you know, maybe... <laughs> You know, maybe you spit up a little. <laughs> oh, honey, I've got to go to AA. <laughs> I just feel terrible. <laughs> no, I was always wiped out, passed out, drunk, looking for a drink or drunk, period. And I continued in high school. So the thoughts I had that I was never going to amount to anything was really unreal what I was really doing with my life because I was pretty successful. I was making good grades and I was a pretty good athlete. In fact, I was such a good athlete, I got a scholarship for Stanford University as a baseball player. And uh, had a tryout with the New York Yankees. Then I came to AA and they told me I was going to have to quit telling those damn lies. <laughs> <laughs> so wait a minute, lady, okay. Let me tell you this, okay. My sponsor told me that. She said, well, I'll, I'll let you get away with this, okay, that you were a pretty good ball player, okay? But don't go for that other stuff. And I said, okay, okay. See, but it was the truth. The truth was I was pretty good. I was a good student. It wasn't what I had heard all my lifetime. And that's the dichotomy. That's the dangerous thing about my life, my alcoholism, okay? The bad thing was that reality and what I thought about it didn't match. Could never get them together, man. It was a, one thing was a was a fantasy kind of a deal, and the other one was reality, and I could never get them to to meet right there in the middle. And that's the way it's been all my life. I can't tell you, I can't stay here tonight and say that, you know, just because I'm the, they call me the messenger of God, that things have changed much for me, you know. <laughs> hey, I didn't put that title to myself. I encourage it, but I sure don't take credit. So that's the way it was. I was away. I went through all through high school, getting drunk every chance I could, and uh, made it through high school finally. You know, in five years, <laughs> I, could, I could never finish those projects, man. You know, I couldn't. I I was a great student. They said we're not concerned about your grades, Mr. Jim. Uh, we're concerned with your attendance. <laughs> and that same thing in college. So after high school, I graduated from high school graduated from high school and um, what I got what time did I get off it's down about 7 820 well okay anyway I graduated from high school I graduated from high school and uh, enrolled in the University of uh, New Mexico I say enrolled because I never attended any classes it was, just, it was just a big joke I hung out with all the losers at the student union building okay that's where all the losers hang out. They got all the wonderful ideas. They're all going to be successes. And all we did was hang out, smoke cigarettes, and get drunk. And uh, we were hanging around the student union mill one time, and uh, 
this friend of mine, six Mexican guys and one white guy. We call them gringos. And the gringo, of course, <laughs> said, you know what we ought to do? He said, we ought to join the Marine Corps. And we all said, God, is that a great idea? <laughs> we got to go for that guy. Yeah, let's do it. So we went down there and joined the Marine Corps. So they were going to be Marines. And I really liked the idea because Marines, the Marine Corps builds men. See, and I thought, you know, this is going to be great. When I have one of those red, white, and blue outfits on with a big white cap. And I'm going to go to embassies across the world and I'm going to defend the country and all this other good stuff. And I'm going to finally become a man. And I really like that idea. And we got on plane. We got on a plane, mind you. And they were just treating us so nice. They said, oh, Mr. Jim, can we get you some more something to drink, honey? Can we get you some more sandwiches, honey? <laughs> what do you want, a pillow? You know, there was a Marine Corps. Which I said, man, this is great. I'm going to stay in for 30 years. <laughs> I like that. I like being pampered, you know? So we got off the plane in San Diego, Marine Corps recruit people, bus picked us up, the loving words of the drill instructor, all right, Marines, let's go. Got us in that bus, pull in, pull right through the gate, MCRD, the gate clanged. <laughs> Civilization, gone, man. As soon as we pulled into that gate, that drill instructor started beating the hell out of all of us. I mean, he was cranky. He, this guy needed a meeting, I'm telling you, man. He just started going down the, down the aisle, just hitting everybody, and I stood up for the group, and I said, Don't hit us, sir. We'll be good. So he got us out. It's about 3 o'clock in the morning. I don't respect for time, these Marines. 3 o'clock in the morning, they get you in line. They give you a bucket with a scrub brush, some toothpaste, and some ivory soap and a sweatshirt. And I say, hey, you know, uh, what's this deal? <laughs> hey, Sarge, what's this deal? <laughs> Just shut up and stand in line. So the guy says, you guys all fall. There was about 75 of us. You guys all fall in here. We're going to go get a haircut. So we went down there and went to the barbershop. And get in the barbershop, and the guy says, uh, you're next. So we sit on. I said, just take a little zoom, zoom. 21 seconds, my hair was gone, man. I said, move out to that line out there. Take off all your clothes and stand in line. So there all 75 of us were, naked, holding on to this bucket with a sweatshirt on. I was still the shortest guy of the shortest, man. I don't get a break, I'm telling you, even in the Marine Corps, I thought it was going to build men to get to the back, shorty. Here I am, the president of ConAgra, man, standing there naked in line with 75 other guys, I'm telling you, it was just so degrading, so demeaning. Everything I ever thought of myself came to fruition in those 35 minutes I was there in line with all these naked guys. It was horrible. It was horrible, and there's something about getting shaved and being naked that just <laughs> scary. It's <laughs> scary, man. So about that time, sergeant starts beating all of us up, you know, just for drill. 
They call us all kinds of names, you know. They said, hey, you, uh... I remember one of the names were, uh... They didn't really use the name. They just said we were having problems locating our parents. What does that mean? <laughs> and it was miserable, man. And I knew right then that that wasn't it either. I got that feeling. Jesus, this is not going to do it either. Every time I make a decision, you know, I'm just, everything just turns to pocket. I just cannot do anything right. I thought the Marine Corps was going to build, man. So anyway, we went through this whole Marine Corps boot camp thing, and it was horrible, and it was, and it, we, you know, you just didn't have, didn't have any choice. You, you know, you could go AWOL, but that wasn't a deal either. They would just, uh, there's one thing I wanted, did not want to do. I didn't want to go to the Marine Corps brig, because later on I was a brig warden, if you can believe that, you know. And uh, anyway, I was in the Marine Corps, and I thought to myself, I was sitting there one day, and there was a bunch of us sitting there drinking Lucky Lager beer. I don't know if you've ever heard of Lucky Lager. I don't even know if they make it anymore. We are drinking that Lucky Lager beer, and I was listening to, uh, I don't know, some rock and roll. It was rock and roll at the time. But I, I don't know. My, daughter, my kids don't think this is. <laughs> they don't think it's rock and roll. But we're listening to the thing, you know, and you get all melancholy, and... Uh, you're listening to the, uh, shaboom, shaboom. <laughs> That's how far back I go. That was popular at that time. And I thought, you know what? You know what I got to do? You know what will really fix my life? I got to get married. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 18 years old, I got to get married. Jesus. It's really going to take this uneasiness I have away from me, right? Yeah. So anyway... Uh, they let us use the phone our 12th week in, in uh, we, we were going to get out, I don't know, 14th week or something, and the 12th week they let us use the phone and I called my childhood sweetheart and I said, sweetheart, do you want to get married? I think we ought to get married. And she said, well, not this week, I'm going to a uh, fraternity dance with your best friend. <laughs> said, call me next week, don't know, I'll let you know, you know. Let me tell you a story. Just dawned on me right now. You know, I remember I tell you, there were six Mexican guys and one white guy went in the Marine Corps. Well, let me tell you what happened to that white guy. He got a discharge. He got a Section 8 discharge. You know what for? Peeing in the bed. We stayed in the Marine Corps. He got a discharge. I saw him, I was waving, I was crying, he was leaving, he was eating a can before. You dirty bastard! So you want me to say anything to your mom? Just thought of it right now, huh? Anyway, I got, I thought, well, I'm going to get, I'm going to get, a, I'm going on leave in January, I'm going to get married. I don't really know it, yeah. Well, we got married. My parents didn't know anything about it, and her parents didn't know anything. It was kind of a, it was another half-assed deal that a drunk always does, you know what I mean? Always doing just stuff that, and then you wonder why the results are crappy. The planning is really, you know, you, you just put, a, it's like half measures avails you nothing, you know what I mean? It's just terrible, and that damn thing was it just, you know, I just, we just got married. And uh, I said, where do you want to go? And, we went to Phoenix, Arizona for our vacation. Can you believe that? We're in Albuquerque. It's not just, Phoenix and Albuquerque are the same thing. Not now, but they were at the time, you know. Two dusty little villages, about 25,000 people. I mean, but we didn't have any sense. We were 18 years old. And, you know, about nine months and 30 seconds uh, later, 
We had a kid, you know. I said, what? What is this? What is this? We had four of those guys before we knew what the hell was causing it, man. That's how innocent we were. You know who told me? I came in at AA and they told me what was causing those things. There we were, you know, four, four babies. I mean, we were babies ourselves. We didn't know anything. It was the age of innocence then. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. Four babies rinsing out diapers. We didn't have any pampers, man. We used to wash those bad boys in the toilet. Rinse those bad boys off with all that stuff, you know? That Technicolor stuff that comes on, man. What's a big shot like me doing this? You know? oh. I mean, you know, you had to drink just to get that stench out of your mouth, you know? It wasn't my fault I was a drunk. It was the diaper's fault, okay? And it just got worse. My drinking really accelerated because now I had taken to doing it. Now I was 21. I could do it all the time legally. It was great, you know. I mean, go in a bar and get drunk, pass out in the parking lot, you know, throw up, and come back. Drink some more. My whole life was drinking, you know, just drinking that damn beer and doing, you know, just thinking about ideas, doing those damn circles on your napkin, you know what I mean? Yeah, you know what I mean. How many circles can, you know, just wondering, you know, what the hell, why nobody likes you, you know, you stuff, you know, about 14 boiled eggs, you know, and some nacho chips, you know, and some pickled pig's feet, and then you wonder why the hell nobody will kiss you, you know, and you feel worse about yourself than you felt when you got in, you know, but it doesn't stop you, you keep going, because you're a professional drinker, it's what I do best, and everybody drinks, everybody drinks. That's what I used to think when I was stupid, you know? Everybody drinks! It's a way of life! Nah, it's not true! It's not true! Some people really can just say no. I wasn't one of them. And I started getting those little whiskey bumps on my car, you know, those mysterious little pings that show up every once in a while. And I had a 52 Chevy at the time. So, I mean, really, the whiskey bumps, the whiskey bumps didn't hurt that 52 Chevy, really, but I, I did get some on there. I did put some more on there, and the bumper was dragging. You know how that shit, you got it, you don't have time because you're so busy drinking. You got it bailed wired up to the damn uh, body of the car, you know, and the damn thing. And the front door doesn't, the, the, the right side, the passenger door used to flip open just automatically. You'd, you'd turn, make a left-hand turn, you know, and I'd lose one of my kids. I'd go like this. <laughs> One night I was one night I was drinking at, at this particular establishment, and this, um, I, I encountered this young lady, and uh, God, we were just in love with each other. We were so drunk that nobody else would have us, so we just it was a, a match made in heaven. We just teamed up, you know. She was drunk, and I was drunk, and she didn't care, and I didn't either. So she joined me in my car, and I said, "Come on, I got a car right out of here, baby." Put her in the car, man, and I took off. Drinking those beers, popping those bad boys. I see somebody cracking up over here. I know it. I know you can identify because we were popping those bad boys, you know, drinking, you know, oh, that's great, you know. And then I made a wrong turn and I found myself on a playground. God damn, I almost hit a teeter totter set, you know what I mean? <laughs> I went through some swings, fucking <laughs> jungle gym. I was making, I made a left hand turn, man. I was getting, I finally I jumped the curb and got on the street and just made it and I looked back and she was gone <laughs> I said to my, and I said to myself Jesus I better go look for her you know so I, I went to look for her 
nice circle of park, man, and everything. You know, I couldn't find anybody. And the next day, I asked the bartender. I said, "Hey, you, you know, you're real, you're real humble now, and you're real, uh, you know what I mean? You got your your tail between your legs. You say, um, can you help me out? Uh, do you remember that young lady who was sitting at the bar? He said, "Oh yeah, the one that left with you." I said, "Yeah, have you seen her?" No, he said, "Has she been in?" You know, so I called the police and I I checked the obituaries for about three months after that. <laughs> Never did find her. So if you're here tonight, I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't get in a car with a Mexican that the right door doesn't close. Okay, I'm telling you. That just got worse, you know, it was horrible. And, and these things kept happening to me, and I couldn't explain it, and I didn't know that I had a problem. I just thought I was the victim of bad luck. The karma was wrong. The moons were in, somebody was talking about moons tonight. The moons were in the wrong place. I said, no, darling, you're having your period. No big so, anyway, now she, hey, now she said that to me. I didn't say that. I don't use language like that. Anyway, it just kept getting worse, man. It accelerated. These damn people, these old-timers knew what they were talking about when they said, hey, you know what? This disease is progressive. It'll kick your ass. Yeah. It gets worse, never better. I learned it in Alcoholics Anonymous. I learned it later on in life, you know. So I was going through all this rigmarole, man, and then they came up with this brilliant idea of getting in whiskey bumps, uh, uh, broken uh, uh, car wrecks, jail. Bail bondsman. That's where I've learned all my... See, most of my stories hearsay. You know, people say, hey, man, you change your story all the time. I say, well, it's just hearsay, man. I mean, you know, I heard my story from lawyers. Lawyers have told me my story. Bail bondsmen, sanitarian keepers, ex-wives, and ex-mother-in-laws. Do you know what you did last night? Of course not. I passed out. Can't blame me. But things continue to get worse, and they told me they had me in a they, they had an intervention, and they all just ganged up on me, and they said, "We're going to send you to a treatment center." They, that was you know that was 1969. There were no treatment centers. But I didn't know it. I didn't know what a treatment center was. I thought you know, thought it was a good deal. <laughs> they said, "We're going to send you to a treatment center, but we're doing it for your own good." Beware when somebody tells you, I'm doing it for your own good, okay? So I went to treatment, uh, not exactly treatment, the New Mexico home for the criminally insane. <laughs> you talk about some doors clanging, man. You know, just nervous, anxiety, just like, just like Don Knotts. <laughs> so then they get us in this place, guess what? Take off your clothes! <laughs> We're going to shave you! <laughs> so they give you these. They shave you. Yeah. They shave you, you know, because they can get you better, to, the better to give you that shock treatment. Light your ass up with one of those Sears diehards, baby. <laughs> Boom, put the cables in there and put a bit in your mouth and go, this is You can still, uh, I, can, I can tell when lightning's coming, man. <laughs> I can see it in Colorado, baby. But. So there I was, bald and naked, in an insane asylum. I said, hey, 
we don't want you naked, put on this paper robe. <laughs> you women know about those paper robes. They don't close back here, do they? So you got a paper robe and paper shoes, and you're trying to walk down the hall like this, trying to keep your robe together and your shoes on at the same damn time. You see three guys walking down the hall, and you see those vertical smiles going just like this. <laughs> Ugly, man. But you don't care because you're on Thorazine. <laughs> what do you care? Oh, you, uh, you know what I mean? You've seen those guys. You know what I mean? Terrible, man. Terrible. I remember a uh, favorite prank, and one of the inmates was, uh, I mean, one of the trustees was to, uh, they didn't let us have our own cigarettes because we were dangerous. You know, I, I don't ever, ever understand that. Nobody could even lift their damn hand. We were so doped up on Thorazine. <laughs> They're dangerous, though, okay? Don't give them their own cigarettes, for God's sake. This guy used to go around to these bars, you know, these iron cells, the cells, you know, where they locked you up? And he had an electric cigarette lighter, and you had to roll your own cigarettes. So his prank was, his trick was, when you're lighting your cigarette, you know, getting a light from him, he'd pull the lighter away. Well, what would you do? Obviously, you'd go, boom, boom. <laughs> So everybody in the damn insane asylum had a big old knot on their goddamn head. Looked like unicorns, you know. Months later, I saw a guy with a... Yeah, you too? Yeah, I was there? Yeah. It's crazy, man, but uh, it worked because I never drank again until I got out. I didn't things got worse, man. Things just got worse and worse. Worser and worser, they call it. So, uh got home one night and I was drunk just drunk out of my mind just tore the phone up knocked the door down uh, you know all those things lightweight things you can do <laughs> threw some ashtrays you know make all that general commotion vomited pissed in my pants you know man she came out of there she had a big old rolling pin she said Get out of my house. She gave me the whole riot act. You know, I used to think you hung the moon. You were the greatest guy in the world. Blah, blah, blah. She gave me all that stuff. You're a loser, man. Get out of my life. You're nothing but a drunk. Get out of my life. So, I said, uh, how about reconciliation? <laughs> and she said this. It's a great life. That I'm not going to reconcile with anybody that can't control their bladder. <laughs> of course, that hurt my feelings, you know. <laughs> I'm a sensitive guy today. I guess making love's out of the question. I, uh, I thought I'd strike while the iron was hot. You know? I was out anyway, okay? I was out! I was out of the loop, and we went through that whole thing, and she got a one of those restraining orders that these guys are famous for you know and I couldn't and I couldn't I couldn't come around the house and I didn't want to come around the house okay I didn't know what I was going to see over there but it scared the hell out of me it did because one time I went in the house after we had uh, separated and I knocked on the door and this I swear this model came to answer it <laughs> she had on high heels pissed me off right away okay she was taller than me my ex-wife I didn't recognize her man she had on this slinky outfit she had her hair cut. Beware, fellas, when they cut their hair, man. They're out looking. They're out searching. 
that is the keystone. That is the hallmark. When a woman gets her hair cut, look out. Short. Anyway, I didn't want to see anything that was going on over there. And we got a divorce, you know, and it was just horrible. And uh, I said to myself, you know, I think it's just late, man. I think uh, I got nothing to live for. I'm just going to commit suicide. So I drove my 52 Chevy into the garage, attached the hose to the window, and committed suicide. Just about a half hour into my program, that guy ran out of gas. <laughs> I don't know if that's a cultural thing or what. I don't know. I woke up with the damnedest headaches for the last year, man. For about a year I had headaches. Horrible. I was belching that carbon monoxide. So I called Alcoholics Anonymous the next day because I was going to kill myself. And in that time, my wife got a, uh, my mom called me, and she'd ostracized me. My brother had too, God bless him. <clears throat> my brother was doing very well, and he's one time he had sent me a check and said, you write the check for however much you want. I don't want to ever see you again. Just stay out of our lives, leave mom and I alone. And I think that, I think back, and I thought, God damn. I didn't make that check out for enough. <laughs> and I keep asking him now, I said, hey, do you want me to, do you want to write another check? But anyway, I, I called AA, you know, and I, I still had one angle to shoot. I called up AA and my sponsor answered, my sponsor to me, and I said, hey, is this A&A? He said, it sure is. And I said, well, got a friend of mine that's got a drinking problem. <laughs> He said, tell your friend to get out of that damn booth and get his ass down here now. <laughs> yes, sir. So I got involved with all those God shouters, you know, those book thumpers. Everything was in the book. What time is it? Uh, it's in the book. Where are you going tonight? It's in the book. It's finally ragged at death. You know, you got just to survive, you got to say, okay, okay, okay. And it turned out pretty good, you know, because uh, things just turned out good. Not all the time, because I hear a lot of people say that their worst day, their best day, or something like what is that? Their worst day sober is better than their best day drinking. I said, man, you should have been with me, baby. <laughs> I had some great times, man. The most pain I've ever had in my life is in sobriety. Sobriety continues, I mean, alcoholism continues right into sobriety. Sobriety by itself is the enemy of sobriety without the program. It'll eat you to lunch if you don't have the program. You gotta drink. You can't take the pain that's in your heart. You cannot take the pain. I understand that. When people go back out to drinking, they fail to enlarge their spiritual life, and they drink again. And with us, to drink is to die. But I can understand it. I don't agree with it, but I can understand the pain. You have to have something to erase that pain. Thank God that I've had the guidance to be involved in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I would be remiss tonight if I didn't go back to basics. Is that what you said it was? Okay. Well, yes, sir. I like that, boy. I might speak again one of these days. I call this the uh, 
Give me A to Z, ABCs, right? A, Alcoholics Anonymous. A, action always, always action. Anonymity, touchstone, spiritual touchstone of the program. B, Dr. Bob, enough said, co-founder. Behavior, be behavior, right? You gotta change your behavior. We don't care what you think or what you feel. You've got to change your behavior. Remember that. Don't be concerned with anything else. Focus in on changing your behavior. See, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves would restore us to sanity. Courage to change the things I can, right? The disease. It's a disease. Remember that. It's a disease. Disease means two words, two syllables. Dis and ease. Dis. D-I-S means without. Ease means comfort. That's what the disease is about. Without comfort. Restless irritability and discontent. D, dilemma. Lack of power was our dilemma. Remember that when you're going through your struggles. E, ego deflation at death. If you don't get the program now, guarantee you, life's going to bring you down to your knees and you will either work the program or drink again. The pain is too intense. I tell my guys on Wednesday night, don't worry about it. Okay? Life is going to beat you down. One of these days, stag group, okay? Stag group. Then one of these days, life's going to come up to you and go, excuse me, are these yours? Stag group. Easy does it. Easy does it, but do it, okay? Hey, first things first. F, it is by forgiving that we are forgiven. Don't go for all this psychobabble 101 that's going around in Alcoholics Anonymous that says you can forgive yourself. It's not what the book says. It says it is by forgiving that we are forgiven. And the amazing thing about forgiveness is that it opens up your heart. And it can heal all those anxiety problems and all that isolation that you feel. And all that turbulence and turmoil in your life can be healed just through forgiveness. H, higher power, right? God as you understand Him. You can build your own concept of God as you understand Him. The greatest program in the world. G, giving rather than getting will become our guiding principle. What do you guys stand for? Giving rather than getting, that's what we're about. I, insanity. Without the program of alcoholics, your chances are less than average. Remember what I said about I on the, on the, when I first started speaking, okay? Irritability. Be sure that you have, work in your, work in your programs that you can get, have some way to combat the, the demons that are going to strike, because that's what they do, they do strike. And they will come again, because that's the way life is. It's not all green lights and uh, chocolate bonbons. Sometimes you just got to take a bite out of a one of those sandwiches. <laughs> Jay, just for today, okay? I remember I used to ask my sponsor all the time, Jay, 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 just for today. Ernie, you know how we are. Ernie, do I have to go make amends? Do I, am I going to make amends for the rest of my life? And he'd say when old sponsor things, you know, no, nah, just for today, stupid, just go do it. Okay, keep it simple. Keep it spiritually simple. Don't get involved in all that rigmarole, okay? You can build a powerful, powerful, 
spiritual program of action with just the two words of the Our Father, which we close our meetings every, every night. Our Father's enough for us. He is the Father, we are His children. And that's what we have to do. That's what we have to focus in on. Let it begin with me, right? Whenever somebody needs some help, we got to say, hey, let it begin with me. Live and let live. Let somebody work their own program. Got nothing to do about it. Got no influence on it. Frosty emotional appeal don't, doesn't work. Please, please, please work your program. People are going to work it when they're ready to work it or they're not going to work it. The old saying is that when the student is ready, the teacher appears. That's when you'll work it. Where was I? M. Made a list of all persons we had harmed. Made amends. Direct amends wherever possible. That's what you got to do. That's what opens up. That's what gives you freedom. Making amends. Going to meetings is great. Talking to people is great. Making amends is the keystone to freedom. Don't ever get, don't ever get deceived that you can fix yourself by just going to meetings. You've got to change that behavior. And no one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. The point is, we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. Ten strike for a loser like me, man. You don't have to sing in the choir. You don't have to give 10% to the church. You don't have to do all those other things. You just have to make some kind of spiritual progress in your life. Oh, one day at a time. That's all we got. That causes more depression, causes more anxiety, causes more turbulence, causes more stress than anything else. Living in the future, projecting. Yesterday is but a memory. Tomorrow is a dream. Today is the only thing we have. Today. P. Perseverance. That's what we need. Perseverance. You've got to persevere with this program. You can't stop. You've got to keep going. You've got to grow. You've got to continue to grow. You've got to put more into it. Q. Quit whining. <laughs> quit moaning, quit groaning, quit belly aching. And worst of all, quit procrastinating. Do it now. Or rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover, people who cannot or will not give themselves completely to this simple program. Surely some of us will, you will see, surely you will see some of us, you treasure the road of happy destiny. T, 12 steps, 12 traditions. The big book, the big book was written specifically to enable us to find a power greater than ourselves, which would solve our problem. The problem is untreated alcoholism. The problem is irritability and discontent. Resentment, anxiety, stress. That's what the problem is. Where was that? T? You? You are responsible. Can't blame it on anybody else. See, right here in this room, can't blame it on anybody else anymore. Can't do it. Can't say, hey, it's my wife. It's my husband. I hear it all the time. I, I'm, it's my husband. Hey, well, let me talk to him. We have to take responsibility for our own lives. Hear it tonight. We can't pass it on to anybody else. The reason that you're in this room tonight is for something that you've done. Your behavior was antisocial, and that's why we're all gathered here tonight. And let me tell you another thing. Most of us in here 
aren't here on a spiritual quest. The reason we were here tonight, the reason I'm here tonight, I can only speak for myself, is because nobody else would have me at that time. <laughs> that wasn't a spiritual quest. I didn't get, I didn't, I didn't commit suicide that morning. Start to commit suicide and say, hey, I think I'll go to AA and, and find God. No, it was not like that. It was not like that. It was different than that. The victory, victory over a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, and that's what Alcoholics Anonymous will give you. That's what the program will give you. It'll give you victory. You can become recovered. I know a lot of people hate to hear the word recovered, but you can recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. W, we, a we program for I people. And that's what we have to focus on. We can't do it, I can't do it by myself, but we can do it together. X marks the spot, baby. I'm right where I am. I'm right where I belong tonight. This is the last house on the block for me. I tried everything else. It doesn't, it, this is it. This is as good as it gets for me. This is truly the highlight of my day. Z, Jimmy Z, works for me. Works for me. And what I'm here to thank to tell you that all these promises have come true for me. And <laughs> I've learned the mo one of the most, one of the answers to the most important questions in the world because I have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of life that I never knew existed. It's called adulthood. <laughs> you guys ever heard of that? <laughs> Irritating, man. It really is. But AA did show me the answer because I told you answers. I got all my answers in Alcoholics Anonymous. The answer to the question, Honey, does this dress make me look too fat? I said, no, dear. You look like a princess. Before, I used to say, well, no, not if you want to look like a sausage. <laughs> but you guys have told me I have to play nice. That's part of the program. I have to play nice. I have to say my prayers. I have to eat my vegetables. I have to hold hands when I'm crossing the street. I'm going to have to share my toys with everybody. The same thing that my grandma told me 150 years ago. Alcoholics have made it, Alcoholics Anonymous has made it come true for me. Let me tell you a story before I close. I've only got another hour, but I'm going to go ahead and close early. <laughs> Wake the uh, sound man up, would you? 2,000 years ago, when the master was uh, on the earth, he was in Galilee and he was going down the street going on this dusty road and this blind beggar touched his garment and as the master continued on his way the blind beggar was healed and he could see instantly and all these losers in the half measures room all these guys that were on dry drunks and needed a meeting they said oh that wasn't no no you weren't you weren't really blind you were faking it all this time anyway they asked him they said hey was he really God he said, I don't know, man. He said, all I know that I was blind and now I can see. And that's the way I feel about you people, Alcoholics Anonymous, and the program. Thank you very much. God bless you.